0: Good morning. Another week, another president. Last week, it was the CLA president, Tim Brightmere. This week, the
1: NFU's Minette Batters. If you value British farming, please respond to the consultation.
0: More from Manette soon. Also, a water treatment works is back open five years after a pesticide contamination. I'll ask what's being done to stop it happening again.
2: Everything is contained within this building, so the operation is safe to the environment and to the operator as well. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale.
0: They say a week is a long time in politics, ask Amber Rudd, but uh, 10 days is a long time in farming. With last Friday's extended ban on neonics, Sainsbury's and Asda looking at merging and this week the deadline for that health and harmony consultation we discussed on last week's programme. Plenty to chew over then with the NFU president Manette Batters. Where shall we begin? Uh, we'll talk about health and harmony in a minute Manette if that's okay. Yes of course. Um, start maybe with um, last Friday the EU extending the ban on on neonics. I mean what's the, what's the NFU stance, your stance on that?
1: Well, we uh, were incredibly uh, disappointed. I have to say not overly surprised at the decision. Um, but it, it it is a backward step. And, you know, we are now looking at the way forward, you know, how um, we can mitigate. Um, we desperately need a, a soil test. Uh, it would be really helpful to have a soil test that, that showed um, how much uh, seed dressing was resident in the soils. Uh, that would help but uh, yes I guess you know for sugar beet in particular um, carrots as well um, I mean every at the moment I start naming anybody everybody's going to say well it's essential for everything well you know it is and it was a, a massive help in taking out old chemistry so we're looking at at, at everything um, to see how we can take this forwards for emer- emergency use authorisations.
0: It is uh, a case, I said it on the programme last week, of uh, he who shouts loudest, uh, and that's the fear with the Health and Harmony consultation, really, isn't it? That, you know, if, if, if we're not, farmers aren't having their say, the Green Lobby may well be coming through a little bit louder and clearer to Michael go
1: uh, I guess, but I, I, I think in, in, you know, in the cold light of day, uh, that... Um, environmental stroke uh, social vision which which health and harmony is doesn 't go anywhere without sustainable profitable thriving uh, food production underpinning it so um, on that basis you know farming is is totally integral to delivering it now, there will be some who uh, don 't see food production as as a priority but you know, as I'm continually saying at the moment, if we're not producing food, we're not farmers. That is our business. That is how we make our living, and that is how we need to be able to continue to to make a living. And making a living has been quite a challenge uh, in in recent years with returns to the farm gate. So, look, it's it. I see it as as a as a big campaign, um, repositioning where we sit and the importance of our sector and making sure that we have more British food. Uh, available to more British people at, at every price opportunity. You know, it, th- that is crucially important that we don't take farmers out of the marketplace.
0: You spent a bit of time with, with Michael Gove, a fair bit of time since, since becoming president uh, earlier in the year and also uh, this week because of of the, the consultation uh, and the deadline drawing drawing near to an end. D- do you think he's, he's taken on board your concerns? Is he listening?
1: Uh, I think I, I've continually said to him, you know, the importance of talking about food. Um, and we can't achieve for the environment unless we do this through the lens of food as, as well. And you know he recognises and has said to me uh, a couple of times, you know, you're right. I haven't had enough focus on food. Um, you know, food production and the environment have to work in harmony uh, together. So I, I think it's 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 a learning curve. Um, he's gaining knowledge uh, all the time. You know, farming is is complex. It is diverse. Um, you know we have been adamant and our consultation meetings have been adamant that this must be about fairness it's not about large versus small it's not about uh, corn versus horn it's, it's got to be a fair and equitable approach to all farming businesses
0: you have been holding consultation meetings uh, around the country obviously what reaction what what has been the message coming back from your members
1: I think there is uh, uncertainty out there which they are concerned about certainly for the sheep sector you know not having a a free trade deal with the EU um, would be of enormous concern. So I think you know farmers are concerned about what the trading relationship is going to look like. Um, Probably the number one concern is are our standards going to be adhered to is agriculture going to be a strategic priority in all trade negotiations? And to be honest, those those issues are far more important than, than any budget going forwards. Um, you know, we want to make sure that we are not undermined um, and that we're allowed to have, you know, a level playing field with those that, that we are trading with.
0: I said at the beginning it's uh, it's been a busy week. Uh, a week is a long time in politics, 10 days a long time in uh, in agriculture. Of course, on Monday we started the week with that um, announcement of possible merger uh, talks between Sainsbury and Asda. Um, I mean, is there a, an NFU concern there if that was to happen?
1: I, I think it's a slightly inevitable outcome of, of where we are in retail at the moment. Um, we're going to see consolidation because we are living with a very savage Uh, retail price war that is unlikely to go away. You know, it's going to give a a bigger market share than what Tesco's currently have at the moment. But for me, the message that it sends out is, you know, we really need to be looking at how we strengthen farmers' position in the marketplace, Um, particularly in the the livestock sector. We we must have stronger routes to market. Um, I've written to Mike Coop and, and laid out very clear um principles for how we hope uh, those conversations will be taken forwards and of course, you know, we very much want them to stay um strongly loyal to their, their British sourcing and and grow those opportunities. So it is what it is. Um, you know, I, I, I think the British sourcing is, is absolutely critical critical. They've built a business on that. Um, you know, the the the, the line that we're gonna take ten percent out of food costs is, is a worrying line. Um, But, you know, it's the start of a conversation and and we've very clearly laid out on behalf of British farmers um, how how we see uh, the future looking.
0: In a strange way, all three are connected, aren't they? You know, if they're squeezing their margins, squeezing on the supplier... As you're talking with the Green Brexit idea, the consultation, that mm-hmm. is about making our farmers profitable. And, of course, without the use of um, neonics and, and maybe glyphosate and, and, and that kind of thing, again, that's pushing the cost even further up for agriculture, isn't it?
1: Yes, it is. And I think, you know, when when you look at this in the round, you know, what um, we are already in danger of doing and the, the 2016 Royal Society uh, report showed clearly that, you know, we are... Uh, importing you know over 50% of our feed uh animal feed and our food and that is ultimately leading to offshoring you know a sizable percentage of our responsibility in greenhouse gas emissions um so you know we have to be mindful that where we can um we should be producing food uh within the UK we have a phenomenal climate for for growing uh crops uh we grow grass uh and we should make the most of the opportunities where we can be self sufficient um because that is that is good for the economy it's good for the consumer um you know and it's it's good for farmers as well so that that's an important part to think about as as we look at opportunities of exporting or offshoring uh what we do
0: Finally, the, the Health and Harmony consultation deadline is Tuesday. It's a bank holiday weekend, so I guess urging all in agriculture to make sure they – you know, it's a 60-page document, but you know, make sure they, they have their say and do take part in the consultation. And I know on Tuesday also you're putting out um, a clear statement of the NFU stance as well, aren't you?
1: I can't stress enough the importance of just taking a bit of time. We have a, a quick and easy uh, consultation response uh, on our website Um, And if people feel like sitting down and and spending three or four hours of their time, uh, it will be time well spent. You know, DEFRA has assured us they will read each and every response. Um, So make farming's voice heard. You know, we have to speak up for farming. It's the start. Of uh, of a long journey, it's the start of a, of a new business arrangement, if you like, with society and and government. But they really do need to respond because this has been actively pushed out by other organisations, that you know would quite happily see a national park. So, if you value British farming, please respond to the consultation.
0: Minette Batters, president of the National Farmers Union. We covered a lot of ground there, didn't we? As mentioned, that deadline on the consultation ends on Tuesday, so not long left to have your say. I know Sean Sparling has something to say about last week's extended ban on neonics by the EU, especially wearing his hat as chairman of the Association of Independent Crop Consultants. Morning, Sean.
3: Well, yes, good morning, Sean. Not only is it bad for farming, it is bad for the environment and bad for society, because be under no illusion, this is not a scientific decision. This isn't based upon actual risk to bees and pollinators. This is based upon political views, political posturing and vote seeking. That is all this is about. All of the science shows, even DEFRA's own field tests show there is little or no effect whatsoever that could be attributed to neonicotinoids as far as bee health goes. We know the biggest threat to bee colonies and bee health is the parasitic mite, Varroa mite. We know that climate change is massively important, cold winters, mild winters, wet springs, wet summers, no sunshine. All of these things are damaging to bees the neonicotinoids have never been proven to be so, even in government studies. The original studies which came out to show there was a link to damage from neonics onto bees was in laboratories where neat neonicotinoid was applied directly onto bees and showed not to do them any good. That is not representative of what happens in the field. In the field, this is precision farming at its best. We're putting a neonicotinoid seed treatment on the seed itself and burying it underground. I want a soil test brought to me so that I can test the soil and see if some of these ridiculous claims about it building up and accumulating in the soil are true because I don't believe it for one minute. And when you're applying insecticide directly onto something of course you're going to kill it and cause it damage but when you think oilseed rape goes in the ground in August it starts to flower in the middle to the end of March That's seven or eight months of dilution of that tiny little bit of neonicotinoid on the seed. So by the time any bees start to look at the flowers, it's so insignificant as to pose no threat whatsoever. And study after study showed that from all around the world. And yet the studies they've relied on are the ones which were funded by the green lobbyists who wanted to see neonics banned. That's what's so perverse about this, because what it's now done is they've removed a whole level of insect control, which meant we didn't have to spray foliar insecticides across fields of wheat and barley in the autumn, and oilseed rape in the autumn. We now have to apply insecticides because the pests haven't gone away. The pests are still out there in the field. The pests are still capable of damaging yield and knocking them down by 50% and affecting quality. So I am now put in a position by Michael Gove and the rest of these people who have voted against neonicotinoid seed treatments, of having to apply more insecticides than I've applied in nearly 20 years because I'm going to have to spray my fields in the autumn and because of the neonic seed dressings on cereals, I haven't had to do that because they have controlled the sucking insect pests that contribute the virus issues on my crop. I'm going to have to apply more slug pellets because the neonicotinoids were helping deter slugs from hollowing out the grain. So insecticide use is going to increase, as is slug pellet use. And when you think neonics were brought in to replace the organochlorines, organophosphates, DDTs, aldrin, Dieldrin, all those nasty pesticides that killed everything in the field, it is an absolute criminal shame that we have been allowed to let these politicians decide science doesn't know what it's talking about, I want the vote, so I'm going to vote it out. That's what this is about. And what's perverse is the fact that if we don't produce food because we get insect pests we can no longer control because they're resistant to pyrethroids, the EU will simply import food from outside where they still use, the neonicotinoids, because they know they're safe outside the EU. That's what's wrong about this. It's nothing to do with science. It's everything to do with pseudoscience, conjecture, and politics, and it is absolutely disgraceful the effect this will have on the environment. So let's move on to agronomy, a brief run through. Oilseed rape, a lot of bud abortion in oilseed rape. It's not pod abortion, it's bud abortion. And it's a physiological response to stress. We've had snow, a cold, long, wet, miserable winter. We've had a spring that hasn't started. We've had nothing but rain. These fields haven't thawed out, dried out. And the crops sitting in those conditions, in the sheltered parts of field especially, have simply aborted the buds. So we've, you've got no pods set in the first 15 or 20. Oilseed rape should compensate well for that, it'll throw out side branches and it'll produce more pods from the top and also from the side, but we need summer, we need good weather for that to happen so that these late pods contribute to final yield, so we have to pray for sunshine and we have to pray the weather gets better from here on in winter barley, flag leaf out, I saw my first horns poking out on Friday, so flag leaf timing is upon me in that block of winter barley, so for goodness sake as I said last week, look at the label for your growth regulators and make sure you are still safe to that crop at those growth stages winter wheat the tops of these canopies look spotless where we got t0 fungicides on and we've stopped any movement of septoria up onto the top of the canopy we can still find yellow rust in skyfall leads reflection all the usual culprit varieties but t0s have held on to that um you look in the bottom of the canopy though and it's full of septoria tritici. that is a time bomb waiting to explode and timing Choice of product and dose of product is absolutely crucial for your T1 because leaf 3 is coming out now. It is the time to apply the T1 fungicide. And all that septoria in the bottom is just waiting for the weather to become a bit windy for a week, a bit wet, so you can't get on and spray. Therefore, being three or four days in front of it, i.e. early, is going to be far better than being three or four days behind it or late. So just make the decision out in the field and again look at your growth regs. Peas and beans still being hit quite hard by pea and bean weevil as they come through the ground. If you're getting threshold damage you need to treat and remember if you didn't get your pre-em on, your herbicide pre-em on peas or beans don't for goodness sake put it on post emergence or within when those seedlings are within 15 mil of the surface because it is possible to cause catastrophic damage and apart from anything else it's illegal to apply those herbicides post emergence. There's no clear Um, You can use Bentazone in peas and beans, post-em from three leaf pears. You can use MCPB in uh, spring peas but that's about your lot so time them to suit and pick the product which covers your weed spectrum best if you didn't get a pre-em on. Similarly with spring barley, don't be tempted to put Liberator on post-emergence, you can cause damage. Um, I have no potatoes in the ground. Linseed is getting hit quite hard with flea beetle in pockets so if you need to treat, do so but again, pick the right insecticide should you have to go And sugar beet still going in the ground. Um, We know from experience that once we get into May, we lose about three tonnes a week drilling-wise. But I had sugar beet that didn't come up until June last year, did 90 tonnes. So all is not lost. It all depends on what happens between now and harvest. So we need to keep our fingers crossed that finally summer gets here and we get some decent growing conditions that allow us to go and get some work done.
0: Thank you. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. We'll find out how I got on at the Waterworks uh, soon. First, the latest from Open Field. I see Chris Spratt stood before me. Hello, Chris.
4: <laughs> Good morning, Sean. All will be revealed about the Waterworks. Don't yeah, worry. You've got worry. me guessing. You look confused. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's happening? Um, well, uh, a reasonable week, I think, really, if uh, if you're a grower um, looking to the forward markets. Uh, the old crop market, uh, that's firmed over the week after an easier week, week previous, but it's been volatile. New crop prices, well, they're benefiting uh, certainly over the last couple of weeks from, I think, now a growing apprehensiveness about uh, potential in some of the major exporting countries as far as uh, yield is concerned. The US, as we know, that's been on the radar now for some time, but the Chicago Board of Trade is trading higher on their futures market this week. They've got a crop tour going on there at the moment, but also now Canada's reporting warm and dry conditions and uh, limited rainfall across there, albeit their intentions is to plant uh, a big uh, wheat area. Russia and the Ukraine again reported now hot and dry and people are getting a little uh, concerned there. Also, we've got excessive rains in Argentina uh, and also threats to the planting of the corn crop in Brazil, uh, which could also become an issue. So, plenty going on there. Uh, coupled with now reports of the April rainfall deficit versus the normal uh, across Australia, that's that's not really helping uh, to, uh, as the start there, 18 uh, planting campaign. So, plenty to keep the markets on their toes, but at the same time, as one of my growers uh, remarked to me this week, when he was booking some new crop wheat, that sentiment can change quickly, and with all the uncertainty ahead, he didn't want to miss the opportunity presented at the moment, uh, and that That's really a difficult case to argue. We have got some quite reasonable values out there if we can get the yield. We've also seen sterling weakened throughout the week and uh, really, I think, uh, development of a northern premium, which we've had for this last year on the old crop, and we're already starting to see that for next year. Uh, So we've got some quite big regional pricing variations in the system already. As far as old crop's is concerned, well, we are now seeing imported supplies trading into the northern portside consumption ports in, in quite big volumes, really. Old crop milling premiums, well, they've improved, really. I think what we're starting to see there is consumers looking to try and top up that July and early August position, and uh, therefore we've got one or two shorts just stepped up to the mark in the nearbys so that they can roll their stock going forward. Old crop barley, well that's now really suffering a little bit from a lack of liquidity with values varying almost from call to call. The old crop malt in barley premium now appears non-existent which seems strange actually when you'd look out the window and at the weather we've had, uh, not at the moment but over the last few uh, couple of months really and you would think there would be some insurance purchases taking place given the delayed planting of the new crop uh, and in some cases, um, you know, no planting at all. Uh, but I think until the pattern of the overall EU crop plantings on on barley becomes a bit clearer, uh, the market will show little reaction to our local situation. Oseed rape whole crop remains stagnant, not helped by imports flowing into the southern crush from France. Internationally, the soy crop, as, as we've talked about earlier in Argentina, remains of concern and the incessant rain there taking the forecast lower each week. And of course, in the background to all this, the US trade talks with China ongoing uh, also, create a degree of apprehensiveness. And next week, we will actually see the first uh, USDA 2018 2019 uh, first stab at the world supply and demand. So, that's quite an important uh, report that will come out next week. So, generally, I think it's making the market a bit tough to trade at the moment. And you know, we could see some significant volatility in the months ahead. You know, we've had one of the most difficult springs I can recall and I think it's left us all wondering, even though prices are looking quite useful further forward, uh, what the harvest may bring uh, if anyone's still got any land that they intend to drill but thinking it's getting a bit late now for barley um, we have a, a good linseed contract, plenty of support and backup uh, with a very friendly grower contract I, I would say you know, to anyone who's uh, probably putting their head over the pillar now and thinking gosh I remember growing uh, linseed back in the late 80s and early 90s, the varieties now are, are changed and you know we have seen uh, a strong uptake nationally over the last few days. As far as prices are concerned, feed wheat for May 148 to 153, with harvest 145 to 149, and November 18, 148 to 152. The old crop bread making premium appro- improving again, uh, 12 to £14 pound dependent on area. With old crop feed barley trading anywhere uh, between 145 to 150, but I think we have to be a bit careful about that because consumers will only take so much and uh, a few buyers about, really. Harvest 120 to 125, but a big carry to November at 133 to 138 X farm. As we've said, the old crop malting barley, premium, really no market there at all, but a 20 to £25 pound premium being talked about for new crop. All seed rape, May uh, 2018, 285x, with harvest, 278 to 280, and November eighteen, two hundred and eighty-eight 288 to 292. Uh, and then finally, beans, 165 to 170. Again, very much dependent on where you are, with the uh, new crop for November, 155 to 160.
0: Thank you, Chris. Enjoy the sunshine.
4: Get the barbecue out, Sean.
0: Chris Spratt from Open Field. Last Monday, I had an enjoyable morning looking at your water. Well, I I say your water. Your water if you're in Scunthorpe, anyway. Uh, The water treatment work near Winterton is back open again, over five years since it had to be mothballed after being contaminated by pesticides. Just a small amount got into supplies in late 2012 because of an accident on a nearby farm. Now, working with farmers, Anglian Water has been able to reopen the works and find a way of cutting the risk of further such contamination. Peter Simpson, Angling Waters' chief executive, opened the
5: works. Oh, absolutely delighted. There's a huge amount of effort that's gone on with, uh, in the catchment with farmers, working on how we can actually avoid the groundwater being contaminated right the way through to the work that's gone on to optimise the process here. So it's been, yeah, really good, really proud. It's been a lot of work, but a lot of collaboration, as you say, which is good. Yeah, I mean, collaboration has been key actually. So we've had a lot of work with the farmers, a lot of work with the Environment Agency, and of course collaboration within the business between the, the teams that have been building, the, making the changes to the works and the teams that actually operate the works too. It's quite rare to have a, a, tra- a plant like this effectively mothballed,
0: isn't it, and then to bring it back into usage. You've been able to really get some efficiencies in here, haven't you, as well?
5: Yeah, it's very rare. Um, generally, we don't have the ability to do that because we haven't got enough uh, spare capacity to do that. In this part of the world, we have at the moment. We've had to bring this plant back on because we've got such a huge demand from uh, increasing housing and the like for, for water. Um, so it's been, we've had a bit of a luxury of time to be able to do it here because of the other sites, um, but it has enabled us to do something quite special here and really focus on the root cause of the issue here, which was uh, essentially a, a cap full of pesticides spilt uh, uh, several years ago
0: to Simpson there. The idea to avoid new contamination is erecting a building in the farmyard that can house the sprayer and the chemicals. And by putting in a bund wall, any spillage that may happen, even just dripping off the sprayer after use, is contained. Kelly Houston Fisher is Anglian Water's catchment advisor. What happened then, Kelly, back in 2012?
2: There were high levels of clopyrrolid and bentazone detected in the water at Winterton. Um, and so the water treatment works was closed at that point. Um, and as you say, it was November 2012.
0: So mothball for a while but now back open again after all these five and a half years?
2: Yeah absolutely fantastic day for all of us and as I said um, you know very proud to be part of it um, and being able to inject catchment management into the solution where we can support farmers and work with farmers to find really? a, a sustainable solution going forward for both parties for the water company and for agriculture.
0: So what's changed what's uh, what's happening that five and a half years that means it can now be open again?
2: Well, catchment management team came into play, um, I joined them in March 2015, and as I said, my first day was a a meeting regarding Winterton Water Treatment Works. Um, So what we've done is actually a very collaborative approach, working together within the operations teams, the project teams, and the catchment management team, uh, along with other external stakeholders such as the Environment Agency, to find a sustainable solution. So to ensure that the pesticide handling areas um, are um, very robust, um, and to ensure that no pesticides, would be able to escape to the catchment um, and to ensure that the water treatment works are up and running and meets current uh, legislations, regulations, etc. So there's been quite a bit going on over the, the last couple of years, but we're here today to, to open the site, which is great.
0: And of course, it is, is fi- no farmer wants to have their pesticide going into the water. Accidents can happen, though, so it's vital to, to have this kind of collaboration to, to look at exactly what can be done to try and make sure it doesn't happen.
2: Absolutely. As you say, you know, as farmers, you know, um, know, we we certainly don't, you know, spread pesticides into watercourses knowingly or spill, you know, in in a yard and knowingly allow it into the catchments. Absolutely. Um, And so really, from now on, it is about disseminating information to farmers to allow them to see what options are available to them. As I mentioned, we are working with the University of Lincoln. um, So working... uh, putting together a working demonstration site there which will have a heliosec, a biobed and a biofilter so we can take farmers to that site um, to have a look at the options available to them. Um, so they can ask questions and see how you know a system would fit into their farming system. It's very individual, very unique um, and certainly it is about finding something that suits you and your farm and your requirements.
0: Every farm is different isn't it?
2: Absolutely every farm is different and so it is taking all of those requirements into play um, and seeing as I say you know what fits your farming system what fits your farming requirements um, and, and how we can actually you know uh, ensure that we can work together to, to put that in place.
0: We stood next to the sprayer at the moment a year ago it would have been in an open yard and you know chemicals going into it whether it was just dripping overnight they could have got back into the water um, chain now that's not going to happen is it with this new building?
2: Absolutely not. So this new building has allowed us to put a fully bunded area in place, um, as I said, with a a catch pit system, um, and that is then run through a biofilter. So everything is contained within this building, so the operation is safe to the environment and to the operator as well.
0: Kelly Houston Fisher there speaking on Northland's farm not far from the water treatment works that's just reopened the farm of John James he now has the building i mentioned earlier yeah it's certainly helping
6: the environment by n- not allowing um, chemicals into the um,
0: water courses or indeed the aquifer uh, if we were to have a spill hmm. Mm. Let's see, old farmers like to be safe and don't like to have a spill, but these things can happen, can't they? And if you were filling up the spray behind us in the open yard, it, there was more risk to the environment, wasn't there?
6: There was a, a risk. Um, you know, again, we, we don't like to waste chemicals, but you can uh, never be sure. And, uh, yes, we feel now it, it's certainly better for the environment and certainly a very safe place for the operator. Explain
0: what happens inside the building now, then.
6: The chemicals are delivered by... Um, large vans and uh, they can either be uh, dropped onto the shelving directly from the van or by forklift truck uh, onto the floor if there's a pallet, pallet full coming um, and then the uh, operator can uh, take the chemical directly from the from the shelves uh, and it's so we're not double handling hence making it more efficient. You can keep the
0: sprayer inside here as well, so, you know. Yeah,
6: yeah the sprayer will live in here now, uh, it's a frost-free environment, uh, so it, it's safe, we feel it's safe and
0: uh, you know, we're very pleased with it. And any, any leakage, should there be any spillage, hopefully not, but should there be, it's all captured within this building as well, isn't it?
6: That's right, it's within the bunded wall of the building uh, and it comes down to this drain um, where it uh, overflows to a, a catchment a tank outside and when that gets to a certain level it's automatically pumped up to the top of the biofilter where it's cleaned and then the clean water is,
0: is kept for irrigating onto the land at a later stage. Farmer John James there at Northlands. It'll be interesting to see if others adopt the idea. Every farm is different but it's good to see solutions are being worked on. Well, one thing water companies haven't been short of so far this year is water. It's been falling from the skies. Not over the last few days, though, but what of the next few days?
1: The Farming Programme five-day forecast
0: well actually there's not a lot of rain coming this week certainly by the looks of the forecast at the moment sunny today warmer as well 20 celsius the winds from the south helping with that seven or eight miles an hour clear skies and dry overnight tonight we're looking at lows of around 11 that wind actually blowing more from the north come tomorrow morning at about five miles an hour Another mostly sunny day, bank holiday Monday tomorrow, maybe some cloud in places, 20 the high, the wind from the east, again about 5 to 10 miles an hour. Then it's clear skies once again overnight Monday into Tuesday, staying dry, lows of 10, the wind from the southeast, about 10 miles an hour. It's a sunny Tuesday as well 21 will be the high the wind from the southwest 15 miles an hour then clear skies at first but clouding over as we start Wednesday a little bit cooler we're looking at lows of around 7 the wind from the southwest at about 5 miles an hour it looks like being a mostly cloudy day on Wednesday itself and a little bit cooler as a result 15 at best the wind from the south southwest 15 to 20 miles an hour and then as we get towards the latter end of the week well it does look like some further sunshine coming in there but maybe some rain could be heavy towards the latter end of the week we're looking at daytime highs mid to late teens overnight lows of around seven or eight celsius and the wind continuing more from the south as we get towards the latter end of the week And that's the forecast. Uh, A good weekend then to be at the seaside as uh, members of the National Federation of Young Farmers are at their AGM in Blackpool right now. It's usually a messy affair. Plenty of agricultural chatter with uh, a few lemonades mixed in there as well. Maybe a few sore heads at the moment. So I'll tone it down a bit. If maybe you're listening in Blackpool on the app or online right now from the conference hotel. uh, That's dedication for you. Thank you. Uh, Whether in Blackpool, whether you're on the farm, whatever it is you're up to, enjoy the rest of the bank holiday.